Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us, either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Hebrews chapter 4, and in a moment we're going to begin in verse number 1. Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse number 1. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you again for your Word. Thank you for this day. God, we are anxious and troubled about many things, but there is really only one thing that we need to be focused on in this moment, and that is you. So, Lord, I ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would eliminate any and all distractions from our hearts and minds. And God, help us to comprehend just what your word is saying so that we can find our true and ultimate rest in you. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Let's stand as we read the words of our God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen behind me. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we have believed, we who have believed, uh, enter the rest as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fail, fall by the same sort of disobedience. You may be seated. What's the strangest job you've ever had? I don't know if you've ever seen the, the, the show. I think it's, it's not on anymore. It's called Dirty Jobs. But there are some really strange jobs out there. Uh, while I was in college, uh, one of my probably strangest jobs was working at a funeral home. Uh, I don't know if you've ever worked at a funeral home. Uh, people are dying to go there. Um, it was one of the most fascinating, uh, strangest jobs I've ever had. Uh, and uh, my job was to serve with maintenance, but I did almost everything there. Uh, I went and helped with funerals. Uh, I rode in the hearse. 
Uh, I washed the limos. I even installed headstones uh, in graveyards. And, and on some of the headstones, especially some of the older ones, uh, you would see occasionally the words that, that, that have these unscripted on the headstone, finally at rest or rest in peace. Now that statement, rest in peace, actually comes from the Latin, came out of the fifth century. And, and it's something that has been said throughout the centuries, rest in peace. And we typically don't see that on newer headstones, uh, but a lot of the older headstones, you would see that. And, and how we have probably heard that phrase, rest in peace, is normally when someone famous, a celebrity, a politician passes away, people go on social media and they put the initials RIP, rest in peace. And the reason why for centuries people have been saying the phrase rest in peace when someone dies is because people have seen death as the final doorway to ultimate rest. And so when you die, you have rest and you rest in peace. And so Americans have different views when it comes to heaven and hell, but what has been found in a recent Pew study is that 73% of Americans believe in a literal heaven. And uh, on top of that, 54% of all Americans believe that being a good person is what gets you there. So 73%, pretty much seven out of 10 Americans believe in a heaven. 54% believe that you have to be a good person to get there. But here's the reality. Only those who have a real personal relationship with Jesus Christ go to heaven. And only those who have a real personal relationship with Jesus can rest in peace. As we end our series on the topic of rest and the Sabbath, there are so many verses we can talk about when it talks about ultimate rest or heaven or resting in peace. But by God's spirit, I felt led to go to the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews was written, we don't really know who wrote it, but it was written to new believers, first century believers, who were very weary, very worn out through the troubles and the difficulties of their lives. They were many of them facing persecution because many of them have converted from Judaism to Christianity. And so some of these were on the very verge of giving up Christianity altogether. And so the writer in a series of sermons, so this guy's a preacher, is writing to encourage these believers to never give up. And he is calling them to keep believing in Jesus. And so out throughout the entire Bible, or throughout the entire book, the writer is constantly saying that Jesus is better. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He's better than Melchizedek. He's a better temple and a better sacrifice. And he says, keep believing in Jesus. Keep trusting in Jesus. And every pastor who preaches the gospel is constantly, should be constantly pointing you to keep believing and keep trusting in Jesus. And so in chapters three and four in mid-book, the writer is picking up on a theme that's found throughout the entire Bible, which we have proven, and that is the theme of rest. And so in chapter four, he uses the word rest eight times in 11 verses. And he is calling the people of God to a better rest, an ultimate rest that's only found in Jesus. Now, the irony is that you would think 
that this guy would tell those people that are struggling in their faith to work harder. If you just worked harder, if you tried a little bit harder, your faith would be strong. But instead of telling them to work harder, he's telling them to rest harder, to trust harder. And he's telling them to not allow the hardness of their hearts to keep them from the rest that God offers them. And so that's what I want to say to you in the beginning is do not allow the hardness of your heart, the familiarity of the gospel, keep you from really trusting the gospel. And so as we began this series, we're going to end this series with this one phrase, the rest we need is only found in Jesus. And so we're going to look here through two lenses. Number one, we're going to look at a warning, and then we're going to look at the way. So let's go ahead and start looking at the warning. Verse one, he uses the word therefore. Therefore is connecting to what he just says in chapter three. We are in mid-sermon. And so in chapter three, verse 19, he says that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Who are the they? that they are the children of Israel uh, who were wandering in the wilderness. So God had delivered the people of Israel uh, from slavery in Egypt, the parting the Red Sea, various and many wonders, the 10 plagues, and God had done through great signs and wonders through a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, delivered the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, and they were on their way to the promised land. They were on their way to Canaan land. And as they're on the very verge of entering into the land, uh, Moses sends out spies. And these 10 spies were sent into the land to scope it out, to kind of do reconnaissance. Eight of them says, there's giants in the land. We're going to get squashed like bugs. We can't do it. We can't do it. So they were the majority report. Well, there were two guys, Joshua and Caleb, and says, listen, there are giants there, but our God is greater than anything that's over there. And instead of Israel, who had just been delivered through the Red Sea, had just seen the 10 plagues, had been fed miraculously, and had been taken care of by God through these years, they decided to go with the majority report. They decided to go with the cowardice of the culture around them and to not trust in God. And the result of that is that everyone over the age of 20 and above died in the wilderness. They went on a 40-year NASCAR race in the wilderness, running in circles, and they died. And so the writer here is saying, therefore, even though that there were the wilderness generation that died in the wilderness, the promise of entering God's rest still stands. That even though they fail to enter in and trust in me, enter into my rest, doesn't mean that my promise of ultimate rest is void. See, a lot of times we hear the promised land and we just immediately think of the country of Israel. We think of the land. And there is no doubt a connection with God's promise to Abraham and the promise of land and a literal land. But when it comes to the idea of the promised land, it's not just a physical location. The, the, the promised land is not even a place. The promised land is a person. And so the true promised land is living and enjoying the person and presence of God Almighty. Wherever God is, is the promised land. And so the promised land is that place of ultimate and eternal rest with God. And that ultimate rest is the rest that you can have within your soul. See, there are kind of three levels of rest. 
The first level is physical rest. So if you've ever been tired, worked hard, had a hard workout, been out in the Florida sun, sweating, melting. If you ever had just a long day where you taken a break, you physically rested, or maybe you were tired and you took a nap or you went to bed every night, that's physical rest. Well, that's one level. The second level is emotional rest. And that is not just the physical rest, but the mental, uh, emotional rest that, that you get from the demands of life and from the demands of others. And so that's level one is physical, level two is, em is emotional, but level three, which is the highest and greatest is spiritual rest. And this is rest in the presence of God where you receive his joy and satisfaction that takes away the inner discontent and inner dissatisfaction of your soul. So the world can offer you physical rest. You can take a vacation. You can go out on a Mediterranean cruise. You can do all kinds of great things. The world can offer you emotional rest, but the world cannot offer you spiritual rest. And so the writer here is saying, listen, the promise of spiritual rest remains. The door is wide open. You, you, you can go. But then he says, let us fear lest any of us should fail to reach it. The, the biggest fear of our life should be that we will not enter into God's eternal ultimate rest, that we would not enter into heaven. See, the worst possible punishment that God could give to the people of Israel was for them not to rest. And the worst possible punishment that God can give you is for you not to rest. And that's the one thing that we understand about hell is that hell, you know, you think about fire, you think about brimstone, you think about all this, but hell, what makes hell hell is that it's a place of no rest. It's a place where you can be, you, you, you just continue forever and ever in torment and no rest. Revelation 4.11 says that the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night. And so the writer says, God's promise of entering into the rest still stands even though those knuckleheads in the wilderness didn't take it. But he says, you need to make sure that you've entered into that. You need to make sure that you are right with God. You need to make sure because you don't wanna be like them. You don't want to be in a situation where you die in the wilderness. And the reason why is he says in verse number two, four, the reason for this fear is this, is that the good news, the gospel, euangelion, came to you just as it came to them. Now, Israel didn't understand the cross and the empty tomb like we do, but Israel did get a promise from God that if you trust in me, I'll give you rest. And the same good news that God gave them, that if you trust in me, I'll give you rest, is the same good news that God gives to you, that if we trust in him, he'll give us rest. But what the writer is saying here is that they heard it, but they didn't believe it. And what that tells us is that hearing the gospel is not enough. Intellectual acknowledgement is not enough. It's not enough that you just believe in a place called heaven. Talking about heaven doesn't mean you're going to heaven. And there's a lot of people talking about heaven who aren't going to heaven. It's not just hearing. There's got to be something more. And that's what this writer is saying. He's saying, warning, warning, warning. Intellectual acknowledgement and hearing it is not enough. And that's why he quotes, again, Psalm 95, 11 in verse 3. He says, as I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. So why would God say to his people who he just delivered from the Red Sea, from Egyptian bondage, from all of the many dangerous toils and snares, why would he say about these people that, and I swore in my wrath, they're not gonna go there. They're not, I've offered it to them, but they're not gonna go there. And here's why. 
The psalmist in Psalm 95 is reflecting on what took place in the, what, uh, the book of Numbers. And he says, for 40 years, all the people of God did was grumble, gripe, and complain. And so Psalm 95 will recount God speaking. So if you want to hear what God thought about the people of Israel, here's what he basically said. This is in the AV, the Allen version. <laughs> he says, I put up with them for 40 years. They were constantly unhappy and ungrateful. Yet I kept providing, protecting, and reminding them of my promises for 40 years. But instead of trusting me, they turned away from me and I had enough. So in my righteous anger, I denied them access to my rest. See, verse six says they received the good news. They heard it. They heard it constantly, constantly. God is good. God is God. Trust in him alone. They heard it. They heard it. They heard it. And they failed to enter into the rest. Why? Because of their disobedience. God over and over and over told them he loved them, demonstrated his love. They knew God loved them, but they didn't trust it. They took it for granted. And eventually God had had enough. You realize that God's patience is only for so long? And the good news that could have brought them to rest is what brought them to wrath. Why? Verse two tells us why. Because they did not unite it with faith. They disobeyed because they didn't believe. Their heart was exposed by their actions. Hear me now. Your heart is exposed by your actions. Israel was kept out, not because they disobeyed God. They were kept out because they didn't believe in God. They were so close. You understand that for 400 plus years, they were in bondage, the people of Israel crying to God, and God finally sends a guy named Moses, and he takes him through this journey, and they're right there on the very precipice, so close, and they die instead of going in. So close, but so far away. Did, did you know that the airlines close the gate 15 minutes before takeoff? In other words, if your flight's at one o'clock, which if it's at one o'clock today, you're late. <laughs> the cutoff point is 1245. So it's their rule unless there's a delay, which is never their fault. And so imagine a guy who's got there, he goes through security and he's like, you know, I'm hungry. My flight's at one. I know that you got to get there like 15 minutes early, but you know what? I'm hungry. And so I'm going to go eat a lunch before I get on a plane. And so he sits there and he's enjoying his lunch and he's having a good meal and he knows what time his flight is and he knows what's going on and he's actually hearing them call, hey, final call, final call. And then he's about 10 minutes before takeoff because his flight's at one o'clock. He bebops in about 12.50. He walks up to the gate. The door is shut. He says, I want to get on the plane. They say, nope. We closed the door 15 minutes before. He says, well, isn't there an exception? What about me? And they said, no, access denied. And he misses his flight and he has to watch the plane take off without him. Why did he disobey? Because he didn't believe they would actually deny him access. 
Why is it that Israel dis disobeyed God? Because they didn't believe God would actually not let them go. How many people do you think have heard the gospel, even some of you in this room are watching online, and you've heard it over and over and over again, and you've sung the songs, and you've prayed the prayer, and you've served in the church, and you've even been baptized, and yet you've never truly trusted and rested in Jesus Christ. Instead, you've wanted to live your life your way. But yet you think, you know what? Well, I've got fire insurance. And you're expecting to stand before God and God's going to say access denied because you've never really believed in me. See, the gospel that many of us have heard over and over again but never have embraced is the same gospel that will condemn you on the day of judgment. Matthew 7, Jesus put it this way. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven you see the obedience there? Obedience comes out of belief. We'll talk about that in a moment. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not attend vacation Bible school? Lord, Lord, did we not go to church camp? Lord, Lord, did we not go to Awana? Lord, Lord, did we not serve as a greeter? Lord, Lord, did we not get baptized? That's the Allen version. He says, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? And then Jesus says, I will say to them, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What was the problem? They had churchianity, not Christianity. Dean and Sarah, who is a friend of mine, wrote a book that I commend to you called The Unsaved Christian. He says, I can't help but wonder if didn't I ask Jesus into my heart will be one of the pleas of the religious when they stand before the Lord. You understand that cultural Christianity is sending thousands of people to hell every day. Just because your mommy and daddy were in church doesn't mean you're a Christian because God has no grandkids. Just because you're a good person and you vote Republican and you live a certain way and you serve a certain way and you do a certain thing and, and you dress a certain way and you don't smoke and you don't chew and you don't kiss the girls that do and you vote this way and vote that way, doesn't mean, doesn't mean you're going to heaven. I'm telling you. And I'm afraid, you know, we are living in a post-Christian America. Do you understand the kids that were singing praises to God on this stage are a minority? They are, their generation, Generation Z, is, would be categorized as almost an unreached, unengaged people group. And sadly, the reason why the church in America is declining is because we have been preaching churchianity rather than Christianity. And that's why I'm going to say this today. Is as what God's word says in verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. There is a way to enter into the promised rest, but don't harden your heart to it. 
Don't be desensitized to it. I'm afraid that we have been desensitized to the gospel. We've heard it over and over and over again. We felt bad. We felt convicted. And yet we think that by being a good person and showing up to church and putting a few dollars in the plate and maybe being baptized by a preacher is going to somehow get me in. And God is saying today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. It's a warning. But not only do we see in this text a warning, but I want you to see a way, the way, the only way. How do you find rest? Well, if the way to hell is unbelief and the way to heaven is belief, verse three, he says, for we who have believed enter that rest. Notice we enter. This rest is not something we create. It's not something we make. It's something we enter. And so therefore, it's something God makes and something that God has prepared for us. Our task is to enter into what God has already provided for us. So we who believe have entered. Well, how do we enter? We believe. We trust. We trust in what? See, what you believe in is the most important thing. Your faith is only as good as the object to which it is resting in. And so we don't just believe in faith. We don't just believe in rest. We don't just believe in heaven. We believe in the one who gives rest. <laughs> and so he's saying that we enter rest by trusting in Jesus, who is the Lord of the Sabbath, the rest-giving, burden-lifting, sin-removing Savior. Jesus did what humanity couldn't do. Humanity cannot give you rest. There, there is nobody, no, no good person can do for you what Jesus did for you. I can't save you. And if I've saved anyone in this room, you're, you're not gonna make it. <laughs> you're not. No preacher, no pope, no Sunday school teacher can get you to heaven. No granny, no granny, they can't do it. Nobody can do it. And he illustrates this. In verse eight, he says that if Joshua, everybody in that, who read this knew who Joshua is. Joshua is the guy that came after Moses. Moses died on Mount Nebo. He didn't go into the promised land because of his own issues. But Joshua came in and he led the people into the promised land. And so he says, there was a guy that got them in there. So those people that were under the age of 20, they got, when they grew up, they got to enter into the promised land. And Joshua is the guy who led them there. But he says that Joshua given the people of God complete and ultimate rest, then God would not have spoken about another rest. And it's interesting here, just indulge me for a moment, that, that, that Joshua, the Greek name for Joshua is Jesus. So there's like a little wink here. He's like, if Jesus had given them rest, if the first Jesus had given them rest, then there wouldn't be a, another rest is spoken of. And so basically he says the first Jesus, Joshua, could not do what the second Jesus, Jesus, did. Because the rest that the first Jesus gave was temporary. It was just in the land for just a few years. But the rest that the second Jesus gives is eternal. And so he says only the risen Jesus can give you the rest your heart is longing for. So the only one who has the power to give you complete and ultimate rest is someone who is risen from the dead. So if anybody, so let me just tell you something. No sports star, no celebrity has risen from the dead. Okay? So don't, listen, LeBron hasn't risen from the dead. 
the Kardashians haven't risen from the dead. That Instagram person hasn't risen from the dead. They can't save you. Joe Biden didn't raise from the dead. Donald Trump didn't raise from the dead. Only Jesus rose from the dead. Don't put your trust in them. Put your trust in him. And so he says in verse, and now we're getting into preaching, all right? Now he says in verse nine, so then, so then, if Joshua couldn't do it, but there's a better Joshua who can do it, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's an already not yet. So if you have believed in Jesus, we're gonna talk about this in a second, then you have rested, you have trusted in what God did in the past, but you're also looking forward to what God's gonna do in the future. But what he's getting at is this, is that Jesus' rest is better than all the rest, both now and forever. So no vacation, no recreation, no hobbies, no beach house, no fun activities, no beach therapy, aromatherapy, or whatever a therapy can give you what Jesus can give you. So if you want to, this has been the heart of this sermon series, and I pray that it's been a blessing to you. If it hasn't, don't tell me. But if you want to experience this rest, I'm going to tell you how. And we're going to end with this. If you want rest now and you want rest for eternity in heaven, there's three things you need to be trusting in. Remember, enter in through believing. Three things you need to believe. Three things. Number one, Jesus Christ is my identity. Jesus Christ. If I want to have real rest, then Jesus Christ must be my identity. In verse 9, he says... Pardon me, verse 10, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. What works did God rest from? Well, he tells us in verse three and four that at the end of creation, on the seventh day, God rested. We also know in reading the entire book of Hebrews that the other time we see God resting as at the end of redemption. God rested not because he was tired. It wasn't like putting together everything wore him out. No, he's inexhaustible. It wasn't like dying on the cross and raising from the dead wore God out because God is omnipotent. He's all powerful. But what you see is that at the end of creation, at the end of redemption, God rested. Stay with me. This is a good one. At the end of creation, on the seventh day, God said, it is finished so he could rest. On Good Friday, at the end of redemption, Jesus on the cross says, it is finished, so we can rest. Jesus accomplished everything on the cross that is necessary for us to be right with God. And so when he finished the work of redemption, where do you see Jesus? He is seated at the throne of God and he's seated because it means there's nothing left for him to do. And because there's nothing left for him to do, there's nothing that we could ever do to add to what he has done for us. And so we no longer have to work, no longer have to do things to prove to God that we are enough because just as God rested from his works, when we enter into his rest, we rest from our need to prove who 
we are to God. Christ is my identity. He says in verse 13 that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This idea of naked and exposed echoes back to Genesis. In Genesis 2, Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. They were at absolute rest with who they were, completely satisfied with who they were. But then you get to Genesis 3, and the moment that sin entered into their lives, they felt naked and afraid. They were spiritually naked and exposed before God. And because of that, we all in this room and watching online experience spiritual nakedness and shame. Every one of us have those moments, if not daily, in which we feel inadequate and vulnerable. And so the re, the re, what we do in response to the feeling of inadequacy and vulnerability is that we try to cover ourselves up with by what we do. We're constantly trying to fix ourselves so that we can feel good about ourselves, constantly trying to establish our identity in what we do because we don't feel like we are good enough. But when we trust in Jesus, we enter into his rest And when you enter into his rest, you see that your identity is in what he did for you, not in what you do for him. That God does not look at your record, but God looks at Jesus's record and Jesus's record is perfect. And because Jesus's record is perfect, you and I can rest. Jesus has done the work that you and I could never do. And Jesus has measured up in ways that I can never measure up. He was punished for my record and I can rest because of his record. If I am going to have rest now and forever, Christ must be my identity. I need no other argument. I have no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Christ is my duty. Number two, Christ is my security. If you're to enter into God's rest now and forever, not only must Christ get you in, but Christ must keep you in. In verse three, We're going to kind of turn this around on its head. In verse three, God swore in his wrath, they will not enter into my rest. Because of their disbelief, their disbelief led to their disobedience. And God swore, I will never let them rest. But for those of us who have believed and those of us who have entered into his rest, we do not have to fear his wrath anymore. For just as God swore in his wrath, they will not enter into his rest. God swore at the cross by his grace that those who come to him by faith, he will never cast out. You can rest in him because you don't have to worry about being thrown out. You don't have to worry about being found out as being some sinner because the only way you can enter into God's rest is you got to recognize you are a sinner and that Jesus is the only savior. And when you do that, you can trust that God will take care of you even though you fall short because you have entered into his rest. See, we will never be abandoned and we'll never be forsaken because Jesus was abandoned and forsaken for us. Jesus was treated on the cross as we deserve to be treated so that we on this side of the cross are treated the way Jesus deserves to be treated. See, the reason why many of us are so stressed out and so worked up is because we're trying to carry the weight of our own eternal security on our shoulders. 
Richard Lovis said this. He says, if we start each day with our personal security, not resting on the accepting love of God and the sacrifice of Christ, but on our present achievements, such arguments will not quiet the human conscience. And we will inevitably, we, we are inevitably moved either to discouragement and apathy or to self-righteousness or some form of idolatry that tries to falsify the record to achieve a sense of peace. But the gospel faith that is able to warm itself at the fire of God's love and what Jesus has done for us, instead of having to steal love and self-acceptance from all these other places, is the very root of peace. If you want rest now and forever, then you must, number one, understand that Christ is my identity. He's how I get in. Number two, Christ is my security. He's what keeps me in. And number three, Christ is my priority. He is who I live for. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. You say, preacher, didn't you just say that we're not saved by our efforts? Didn't you just say that we're saved by grace alone? It's not our work. So why is the writer of Hebrews setting us up here? Why do we need to strive well, I want to remind you, yes, we are not saved by our works. We're saved by Jesus's works. We are saved by grace. But yet the Christian life involves effort. It involves effort. The writer of Hebrews is going to teach over and over that faith, by definition, perseveres. Faith, by definition, true faith doesn't, fin doesn't fizzle at the finish. Faith that fizzles at the finish wasn't real at the start. Real faith doesn't give up. Real faith doesn't run out. Real faith trusts and obeys. That doesn't mean you don't sin. That doesn't mean you don't have seasons in your life where you're up and down, where you're hot and cold. But what he means here is that real faith at the end doesn't fizzle out. Because real faith and real trust means that Jesus is the priority of your life. And it means that you do what he says and what he demands. That what he says and what he demands is the number one thing in your life. And listen, this is where the rubber meets the road. In reality, by definition, there, are no, there is no such thing as priorities. By definition, there's only one priority. And so the litmus test for your belief and trust in God is your obedience to God. Why did they disobey? Because they disbelieved. Our obedience is the proof that the faith that we have has taken root. And you and I will only obey God when we trust God enough with the consequences of our obedience. They disobeyed because they didn't believe God. We disobey because we haven't believed God. But by the effort that we believe, by the degree by which we believe God, is the degree by which we will obey God. I was in Sunday school and a teacher was saying, I never forget what she said. She says, you only believe as much of the Bible as you obey. You only believe as much as you obey. When Jesus is your priority, all you have to be concerned about is doing what he says and letting him worry about the rest. When Christ is your priority, you can rest in him. And you can know that he has given you a promise that he will provide everything else you need in life. 
Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what does he say? And all these things will be added to you. What are all these things? All these things you're worrying about. What are you worrying about right now? Whatever you're worrying about, if you seek God first and his righteousness, he'll provide what you need. See, when Christ is first, you get everything else. But if you put anything other than Christ first, you lose him and then you'll lose everything else. The way to rest is to trust that Jesus is your identity. He's who gets you in. The way to rest is trusting that Jesus is your security. He's what keeps you in. And the way to rest is that making Jesus your priority because he is all that you need. See, the wilderness generation saw the mighty miracles of God, but failed to enter the rest. Why? Because they never really believed in God. Let me just end with this thought. Do you know that good people go to hell every day? God's standard isn't good. God's standard is perfect. And good people go to hell every day. Church members go to hell every day. Only those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ will enter into his rest. J.D. Greer wrote in his book, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. He says, surveys show that more than 50% of people in the U.S. have prayed a sinner's prayer and think that they're going to heaven because to it, because of it, even though there is no detectable difference in their lifestyles from those outside the church. Thus, so many people are assured of a salvation that they give no evidence of possession on the basis of a prayer ritual they didn't understand. Jesus, when you die, is not gonna say, did you pray some prayer? Jesus, when you die, is gonna say, did you trust in me? This week I was at camp with the students and, and, and there was a Q&A time and one of the students asked me, how do you know right now that you're saved? And I said, I know that I'm saved right now because in this very moment, I am putting everything, all that I have and all that I ever will be on Jesus Christ. That I'm trusting that what he did for me on the cross was enough. That I've given him my life and I've surrendered my life to him. That doesn't mean I don't sin, but it means that because even though my sin is great, his grace is greater and I'm resting in him. A lot of people know that, but they've never embraced it. One old preacher says, the difference between heaven and hell is 18 inches, which is the distance from your head to your heart. I'm not saying, do you have a head salvation? I'm saying, do you have a heart salvation? I'm not trying to scare the saved out of heaven, but I am trying to stir the comfortable to get out of hell. And so today, I'm going to end, and I'm sure you're ready, but I want to end with this. I want to end what the Bible says. That today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If he's speaking to you right now, if you're feeling those butterflies in your stomach and you're feeling the conviction and the weight of your sin, if, if you are still alive and you're hearing his voice, do not harden your heart heart. You say, I've been a member of this church for years. 
do not harden your heart if you're not really saved. Because he's not gonna say, were you a member of First Baptist Church of Naples? He ain't gonna say that. He ain't gonna say that at all. He's gonna say, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone? So that's what I wanna say, have you done that? Do you know that you know that you know that Jesus is the Lord of your life? Is he your identity? Is he your security? Is he your priority? If you're not sure, today's the day. In our first service, we had over 12 people trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. There's no doubt in my mind that there are even church members in this room that need to give their life to Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray for you in a moment. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, but I don't want you to think that just saying some magic words is going to get you to heaven. It is faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And I want to lead you in that opportunity right now. So if everyone's head will be bowed, everyone's eyes closed, and if you're here and you do not know Christ as your Savior, if you're not sure, I want to give you that opportunity right now. I'm going to pray. While I'm praying, you can just talk to God. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the promise that you've offered that if we believe in you, if we trust in you, if we surrender our lives to you, that you will give us rest, not only now, but forever in heaven with you. And Lord, I pray for those in this room and those watching online that do not have a relationship with you, that God, today would be the day of salvation. God, that they would not harden their hearts. So Father, draw all them to yourself right now. If you're here in this room and you need to trust Christ as your Savior, if you're watching online, you need to trust Christ as your Savior, right now I wanna give you a space to do that. You can say something like this, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and I've been trying to save myself. But today I completely surrender my life to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins and I ask that you save me and be the Lord of my life. Forgive me. I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of failing and I want to trust completely in you. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that somebody in this room, multiple somebodies in this room, would give their life to you. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. No one's looking around, I promise. This just helps me pray for you. If you here, while I was speaking there, if you just prayed and asked Jesus to save you, or you need to speak with somebody about being saved, being a Christian, I want you to do something very courageous. There's hundreds of people in this room, but nobody's looking but me. Would you just raise your hand as, as high as you can raise and say, I just trusted Jesus as my Savior, or I need you to pray for me. I'm not sure that I'm saved. I see you. Just raise as high as possible. Raise as high. Don't be ashamed. I see you. All throughout the room. Hands all throughout the room. All right, you can put your hands down. Those of you looked about nine or ten I want you to do something courageous. You said, I'm not sure I'm saved or I just gave my life to Christ. At the end of this service, there's gonna be pastors down front. I'll be down here. Come and see us. Come and see us. And as a matter of fact, we're gonna sing a song in a moment. And if you still feel the urge, there'll be pastors right there. You come and see us now. Don't harden your heart. We, I saw multiple people raise their hand. Don't harden your heart. Say, here I am, Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for those who just trusted you as Savior. And Lord, those who need to do that, help them to have the courage to step forward and let us know. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Let's stand and sing. We'll have some pastors down here on the sides if you want to speak with us. Let's stand and sing. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.